Welcome to the Escaping the Accountant's Trap podcast. It's a podcast to help accountants, CPAs, and bookkeepers escape what we call the accountant's trap. And what's the accountant's trap, you ask? Well, to get paid more, you must take on more low value and high demanding clients. And you can't raise your fees because you have a ton of competition. And you're providing what most clients view as a commodity and technology is starting to automate your job away. This is a trap. So this podcast is all about finding strategies to help you escape the accountant's trap and finally create a practice that you dream of. A practice where you're in control of your time and how much you make and a practice that's scalable, growing, and more profitable, all without working more hours. In today's episode, we're going to help you escape the accountant's trap by ensuring you have the right people on your team. So to help with this discussion, I've invited Kira McMahon, the owner of a consulting firm called Phase 2 Management Consultants, on the show. Kira, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. Happy to be here. I'm really excited to talk about this because, you know, the the thing that you mentioned right before we went on the air is that the biggest challenge to growing a practice is finding the right team. And so we've heard this time and time again from our from our members in our program, but why is that the biggest challenge? Yeah, well, there's definitely a shortage in the industry right now. And, um, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, there weren't as many options for, you know, students or, or kids coming out of high school. Um, now there's so many other things they can do with e-commerce, with, um, you know, uh, IT and all of the different opportunities. Entrepreneurship, working for themselves is, is a big thing at the moment, too. So there's lots of other trends. Social media opening up has opened up lots of opportunities for these young people. So there's less people going into the accounting profession, um, and that means uh, less less uh, pool for us to hire from. So that we're definitely starting with that as as a challenge um, number one. And then obviously there's there's other factors as well as far as you know the competition out there and what what each practice has to offer to attract the right people. I will say that since the pandemic, you know, uh, it's been. Uh, a blessing and a curse all in, all in one because they uh, it, it reduced the local pool because now people got used to working more remotely and having that flexibility and a lot of people didn't want to go back to the office. So even though before the pandemic there was a shortage in the industry, now that the pandemic happened and people don't want to go to a local office, it reduced the pool even further. But on the plus side, it opened up the, uh, the entire country for your talent pool that you can choose from. So I would say mm. overall it was a plus rather than a negative for the, for the industry, um, especially if you happen to be in an area where there just isn't a lot of applicants. Now you're not, you're not stuck with that area. So, yeah. yeah. That, that makes sense. And I've read a lot that said that the accounting is hard to attract talent in the accounting profession, especially, you know, a lot. For, for all the reasons you just mentioned, especially because the barrier to entry to, to start your own business and mm. is so low. And, you know, with COVID, it really accelerated remote work. So what would you say to the accountants and bookkeepers out there that, that are feeling this trap? They're sort of stuck. They are, they are doing everything in their business. They're wearing all the hats. What would you say to them is their first step to take to, to find the, the build the right team and, and which positions do they need on their team as they're going out and building the right team? 
Yeah, absolutely. So firstly, um, you know, maybe even like a pre first step would be um, get the right mindset. And a book that we recommend a lot um, that helps with that is a book called E-Myth. You probably heard of it, you know, Entrepreneurial Myth by Michael Gerber. It really goes over, you know, the um, the two different hats of being your own best employee uh, versus being a business owner. And if you're being your own best employee, that is very successful, but just up to a certain point. So you got to get the mind uh, set shift that you want to look at your business and uh, not just as um, a pile of work on your desk, but what you can do to actually, you know, get get out from under that and start uh, running the business more. So that's one thing I would definitely go over. And then as far as uh, attracting the right people um, into your into your business and finding staff, um, you definitely want to hire with the, in mind what will actually help the owner the most. So when you're looking at who's the right next hire for, for any business, you're looking at what would relieve the owner's plate. Because if you think about it, if the owner gets more time and gets more um, bandwidth freed up, they are going to do more for the business with that extra time and energy than anybody else in the business. So we have to free the owner up first. And so so that's what I would look at. Like, what are you doing that you could get off your plate if you had this person? What would that person have to look like to take this stuff off your plate? What have you on your plate? Uh, probably initially would be the first exercise. And, um, and start with the lower level work. Uh, first, obviously, because then, you know, you could bring somebody in at uh, a lower rate per hour, but not not so low that they couldn't take much off your plate. It has to be still uh, able to be somebody that can really make a difference to your workload. If that makes sense. It does. It does. There's so many good nuggets in here and, and I want to dive into them. But, uh, but first, uh, there's a lot of accountants and bookkeepers that I've talked to personally that they they just want to hold on to the the tactical work, the transactional work because they enjoy it. Much like the e myth, you know, the e myth. If you haven't read the anybody listening, if you haven't read it, it's it, it's the it's a great book and I highly recommend it as well. Uh, but it's this it's a parable essentially of a, a business owner who I believe owned a pie shop because she enjoyed baking pies. <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden she was wearing all the hats. And so the idea was to transition her from baking the pies, essentially being the business, to owning a business that bakes pies where other, somebody else, other people are in the various positions. So why do you think uh, accountants and bookkeepers uh, especially have a hard time letting go of the actual pie baking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's typical of a lot of... Um types of businesses like lawyers are the same dentists they love mm -hmm. to be doing dentistry they want to be in their patients mouths fixing it and they they don't really want to be out looking at you know the numbers and how many patients came in and uh what the no-show rate and all that was so it's typical of a lot of businesses where your um your background is profession education in a profession and then mm. that's probably what you did when you went to work for somebody initially so that's that's what you know. That's what your comfort zone is. And it's not necessarily comfortable doing other parts of running a business like marketing or um, handling employees when maybe they don't always perform as well as you want them to. So all of these other areas are not in their background of education or experience. So that's kind of what we're, we're, we're working with. And mm. we usually do go over initially uh, with practice owners, uh, the two types of practices, 
And I guess you could say maybe with other businesses, not just uh, tax and accounting, but we look at like, do you want to be a lifestyle practice or a asset uh, practice or business? So lifestyle is just where it's it serves your lifestyle. You, you generate, you're more focused on the profit uh, what the profit margin is, what you can take home, and you build everything around taking home as much as you can so that you can live off a nice income. Um, and then that could be where the story ends. But for a to really run a business, as in the uh, E-Myth book, uh, you want to not be your best employee. You want to invest in you know payroll to bring people in and then to grow it. Your profit margin will go down, but the amount of profit will be a lot higher so um, 70% profit margin, you know, might be something to brag about, but it's usually going to be 70% of a lower number. Whereas if you can get it up to um, a much higher gross and you get 40% of that and you're not stuck doing the work uh, in the trenches, then that's just a better scenario for some people. And then, you know, obviously, if you really don't want to wear those other hats in the business and you just want to service clients, there's nothing wrong with being a lifestyle business either, right? Yeah. And you brought up a very good point because you're right. There is a difference, you know, a lifestyle business being, you know, essentially you're owning your own job. There's nothing wrong with, but it is a job. Meaning if you take off, if you take time off two weeks, a week, a month, you're not going to get paid. Uh, and two, it's, uh, you know, you only have so much time in the, in the work week. Mm -hmm. You can't take on that many more clients. And there's, mm -hmm. you know, one of the traps of being an accountant or bookkeeper is that to get paid more, you have to work, work more hours or take on more clients. Well, when it's just you, you can't do that because exactly. you only have so much time. Yeah. Your only raise is when you raise fees. And obviously mm -hmm. when you do that, it's probably because of inflation. So your, your expenses have gone up as well. So it's, it's very That's limiting. Right. Yeah. So in your experience working with accountants, uh, do you feel, uh, this is sort of maybe a hunch that I have, that most accountants would raise their hand and say, yes, I have a job. I have this lifestyle business, as you called it. Um, are, do you feel like most of those people want, would, would love to transition to having a sort of a, a machine that, you know, mm -hmm. a business that works without them? They would, would, would the majority of accountants love to transition um, but something is holding them back or is it just they would rather just have a lifestyle business? Like, what yeah, do you feel? I think, a, you know, a good percentage do fall into they would rather have a lifestyle business if they really don't want to have a staff. They really see staff and that can be uh, as a bit of a nightmare. They they can feel like if, if they had a bad experience, maybe they worked for somebody mm. and they weren't treated very well or they saw that other staff weren't treated very well. Um, so there's definitely the type of person out there that just wants to do the work. And yeah. like you said, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but then there's a lot of people in between, you know, they're trying to transition, but they haven't really made the distinction bet between the two types of practices. So they don't fully know what it looks like and how to get there. But you can see that they're trying to get out of the day to day and uh, they realize the hours thing has just caught up with them. And while it was great at the beginning, you know, all the clients thought they were awesome when they were starting out and they had more time. Now clients are screaming at them to get the work back and uh, there's just not enough hours in the day to give the kind of yeah. service they really want to give. Yeah, it's a stress. It ends up being a stressful job. Mm -hmm. So is how, how much does fear, fear play in the accountant or bookkeepers ability to hire their first employee or to grow up a, a business that doesn't revolve around yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, I just spoke to a client the other day and she had worked out how she could hire somebody 
uh, and still be able to make a living. And she didn't factor in at all that this person would generate more than their cost. So because she wanted to look at the worst case scenario. And uh, so, okay. so that would just tell you, you know, where she's coming from. The one thing I would say, though, is that, um, you know, hiring is not like uh, some expenses that are unreversible or irreversible. I think the right word is because, uh, you know, it's, it's not like you've bought something and it's a no refund policy. <laughs> so if it's not working out, you know, it's not like you, you sustain that. But I do find that in the accounting profession, there's a lot of what we call Mr. Nice Guys or Miss Nice mm. Girls, whatever, uh, as far as like they don't they don't like to they don't like confrontation. And so if they got somebody, they hired somebody and that person wasn't working out, they might not do anything about it. So then it is a fear because you're going to be stuck with somebody, but it doesn't yeah. have to be that way. And uh, and yeah, if, if you're concerned about hiring the right person, sometimes people have had failed hires where they didn't work out. So um, and that's usually because the owner is not hiring every day of the week. So they don't really have the tools to to distinguish between who's ah. a right hire. And yeah, it's a good point. So, yeah, it's, it's that, that is almost like a skill. Absolutely. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but, that, but you're right. That's a, it's almost a skill that you have to hone. And if you don't practice that skill all the time, when it comes time to hiring, it, it's, it's something that you lack and you may make a mistake. Yes, absolutely. I mean, initially we would advise clients on how to hire, you know, yeah. drafting the ad, where to put it, how to go through the process. And then we just realized a lot of them were just way too busy to do it. And they just weren't able to do it justice. Like you'll see all the time, they get these resumes and they don't have time to have, you know, respond to them. So there is no time that you can lose in the hiring process because uh, there's so many others looking as well. So mm. there's a very short window. You never want to hire when you're super busy or obviously when you're just about to go off on vacation because all those resumes will be stale within, I would say, three days. Mm. So oh, wow. okay. there's a lot of like coaching that we do, but we still found that, that the owners were just not, you know, not able to get to it promptly because obviously when they're hiring, they're super busy as well. So they don't have a lot of time to spend on the hiring process. It's a kind of a catch 22. So, yeah. so then we just kind of a, a, allow um, them to outsource that to us and we do it for them. So it's, it's kind of one of the services that uh, I'd say is, uh, you know, done for you very, um, you know, can really help a lot with like, you know, as a consultant, you're giving your clients things to do. This is something we can kind of take off them. So that's uh, been, you know, very popular. But yes, as long as, you know, you're you're working out also your filtering process, you know, what you're going to do to weed out the people you really don't want. An obvious one is longevity. You know, people have great experience, but they're hopping around from one job to another every year or every other year. Um, that's usually not a good hire, but we kind of have a long list of criteria. And then we also do technical questions as well. So, you know, if we're hiring somebody with a, that has to have a lot of experience, you know, do they really know their stuff? Do they know their taxes? Do they know their accounting? And, uh, and not being afraid to ask those questions. I would say a lot of owners, and I don't think it's just accountants, just um, are too nice in the interview process, which is understandable because they're going to be working and they're trying to start you know, the relationship off on a positive footing, but then right. it's just like a, a coffee, you know, shop conversation. It's not really an interview. And so we yeah. find like that uh, we can do the hard questions part for the owner and make sure that we're finding out who this person really is, if they would be a good employee. Um, so what, what are some 
characteristics or qualities that that you would look for in an employee for an accounting firm? Yeah, I mean, their uh, their resume will tell you a lot um, because of, again, the longevity. That would be number one. Mm-hmm. It's not a guarantee, but it's almost a guarantee if they don't have that, that they're not right. going to be you know good to work with. So we don't really negotiate on that point, uh, particularly if you're hiring remote because you know, they're, you know, they're not under your roof. They're not down the hall in another office where you can keep a closer eye on them. So I would say that the criteria for hiring a remote staff is actually a lot stiffer than it would be for you know, somebody that you have in your office. So this, this point about filtering has become more important these days with so mm. many people hiring remotely. Um, and then um, you know, why they left a job is always a good character uh, question okay. to ask. Yeah. And then uh, what their biggest contribution was to that uh, company that they worked with. Mm. Um, you know, other types of career questions where they're going. Do they have any? Are they just looking for a job and a paycheck or do they have any ambitions career wise whatsoever? Uh, so we'll, we'll go through all of that with them. And then also just seeing where they're at in the interview process, sometimes finding out, you know, have they have they been looking for quite a while and in many interviews have they gone for how industrious they are in that process? Just a lot of different areas. You can get a really good feel for who you're dealing with. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, conversely, what are some red flags that you should watch out for when interviewing? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely, again, on, on the resume, um, you know, just even their communication back and forth in the hiring process. Sometimes you can notice that their um, their writing style is off, um, you know, that they they don't complete sentences or whatever, or, you know, their grammar. I mean, there, there are some people that have English as a second language. And mm. there's nothing wrong with that if they're really good at English. But if they can't, you know, that's going to be a problem potentially if you're having them communicate with clients, which most of you know our clients would, would need them to do. So, um, yeah, just even in the in the process, back and forth, just seeing how willing they are. You know, you'll ask a couple of questions maybe uh, the, in the hiring process by email initially, and uh, some of them won't answer some of the questions. Um, maybe they overlooked it. They don't have good attention to detail, or maybe yeah, uh, they point. think, yeah, or they think that you know they're they shouldn't have to answer those questions, which is an attitude already that you know we wouldn't want. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. You have to. The thing I look for uh, a lot of times in employees is, or almost every time when I look for an employee is, do they really want this job, mm-hmm. and will they, you know, will. And by answering all those questions and making sure they dot the I's and cross the T's, they indicate that they are, they care. Right. And I will look for somebody that cares. But let me ask you this. uh, When, you know, somebody, an accounting practice owner, bookkeeping practice owner, how do they know when it's the right time to hire their first employee? Is there a time? Is there, is there something that you look for or suggest? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what services they're offering because some services would be like taxes tend to be higher fees than other services. So, um, you know, depending on where they're at in their practice for the very first hire, is that what you mean? Like the when they should hire the first time? Right. Or- they're, they're doing, they are the pie baker. They are doing everything yeah. themselves. <laughs> yeah. How do they know? All right, right now I should hire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because now, you know, you can get staff fairly flexible on hours. You know, I would start to look at hiring when you hit around a hundred thousand, you know, one to 200,000. Um, okay. As far as later on, there is a good formula to know when to add to, um, to your, to your business. Um, 
And this formula is uh, to do with annual billings. So if you have, um, if you divide the gross annual billings of your business by the number of employee of, of people, uh, so that includes the owner. Sometimes the owner is the best employee anyway. Uh, so that includes, mm -hmm. the owner includes admin, billable staff, everybody. And then you work out the full-time equivalent. So say that's 3.5 people, 6.25 you know, people, because sometimes you'll have part-timers in there. So you work out the full-time equivalent and divide that into your gross revenues. And then that you want that figure to be between 150 to 250,000. That margin is based on where you're at in the country, higher, you know, uh, income areas, uh, expensive areas. You know, you you need to be at the 250. Uh, in actually the Bay Area, you need to be at 300,000, believe it or not, per person, per full-time equivalent. But that will tell you if you're not there, you you probably not ready to hire because until um, you get there, you're not making full use of your existing team members. You might have the wrong person on the bus or you might, your fees might be too low. So you want to fix those other things before you jump into another payroll expense. Okay. And, and just to make sure I understand the, the formula, can you repeat the formula again? So you work out firstly, the number of full-time equivalents in your okay. business. You divide that into your gross revenue so 500,000, a million, whatever that is. And the, mm -hmm. the answer um, should be between 150 to 250,000 per full-time equivalent. Got it. Okay. So, so gross revenue, let's say gross revenue was two, uh, was a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars and you have two full-time equivalents. So to so the owner and then one other person, so two, two full-time equivalents, that would be $50,000 per right. employee in gross billings. So you would, and so you and, suggest and it, it look, doesn't mean that they're doing that. And, you know, probably one of them is doing most of it, but this is just a rule of thumb formula. It's just a gauge. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so the idea is to wait till you get to about 150, 200,000, then you start to look for somebody else. That, that would be at the beginning. Yep. And then as you go through, you would keep an eye on that formula to see, are we between 150 and 250,000? If not, we've no business hiring. And if we, yeah. if we are, then great. We're, we're ready to go for the next employee. Yeah. That makes sense. And, uh, and you know, it's somebody we've had this conversation with accountants and bookkeepers before, you know, in terms of when do I need to hire? And, and I, I love this formula here and this completely makes sense. But then the natural response is, well, I'm already working. <laughs> I'm already working 40 hours or 50 hours a week. I cannot add uh, more revenue, but yet I'm still not at this, you know, this mark, the, the range you suggested was 150 to 200,000 in annual billings, what do I do? And and our suggestion is to raise your fees <laughs> and, yeah. and you can't do, you, I mean, because accounting a bookkeeping is a commodity, you can't raise your fees unless you provide a service that is higher value. And that's why we recommend that you offer an, uh, like a, some sort of business advisory and outsource CFO services. But what would you recommend yeah. to somebody that says, I can't, I don't have any more hours in the week to give? Yeah, I mean, there, there's two ways you can go with it. If you want to be a commodity and you don't want to add more value services, then you really are based on volume. You've really got to increase the efficiency of how you can do things. Um, you've got to get staff very highly trained so they can turn things around faster. So it's all about speed and just efficiency. Mm. And it's it's really that kind of a, a business model, which, again, there's nothing wrong with and you can make money doing it for sure. And then the other way, which you suggest is that you add higher level services like the CFO and business advisory, tax planning, all of the ones that tend to be 
um, a lot uh, better fees. Uh, so then th that has its own, you know, you, you, you challenges. You've got to have more um, training and more skills on your team to do mm -hmm. that. So it's really a choice that, you know, each owner would make. Yeah. And that makes sense. And, and, and this further proves why they need to talk to somebody mm -hmm. <laughs> to help them figure it out. So speaking of, how can somebody find you if they just need help in this area? Yeah, I mean, they can definitely check out the website. Um, that's uh, phase2management.com, uh, P-H-A-S-E, and then two as in T-W-O, management.com. And then there's a contact page there, obviously, but uh, you can ha take a look at, um, you know, what uh, we do there. And um, there is actually a quiz, uh, a high-performing tax practice quiz, uh, which would apply to any, any business bookkeeping or whatever. And then uh, that can help you determine what some of the next steps would be, what stage you're really at. So, because um, our program is very tailored to each practice, it's not a cookie mm. cutter. Everybody does the same thing. So we can figure out what your goals are and what would get you there, you know, specifically. I love it. So uh, phase2management.com. Perfect. Find out more information. There's a quiz, high-performing how it determine if you are a high performing tax practice, yeah. right? Okay, perfect. All right. Well, Kira, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. I've, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much too. And to everybody listening or watching, thank you so much for spending the last few minutes with us as we discussed how you can escape the accountant's trap.